We are going to read God's Word together as we get started this morning. Hebrews chapter 12, starting in verse 18. Here's what Scripture says. For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion, and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Verse 25. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. May God bless the reading of his word. Okay, this morning as we get started, let's divide the room for a minute. If you're watching at home, type this in the comments. You have to pick one of the two, okay? Can't say both, can't, can't opt out of this. You have to say... Do I love the mountains or the beach? Okay, mountains or beach. Now, not a fair question this morning based on the temperature and the weather outside, okay? So not my best morning to, uh, to, to pick this because people at a time like this will post pictures of being at the beach or being on vacations. You're like, you don't know what we're going through right now, but just, just take it, okay? So you're going you're gonna to choose by raised hand here in just a moment. You've got to pick either the mountains or the beach. Who's going mountains? Thank you. That's the right answer. Now, everyone else, who's picking the beach? Ooh. Okay, just for the fun of it, one more time. Mountains? Beach? I think mountains won, but it was really, really close. So we talk about it in Emmaus sometime. When you, when you come to be a part of Emmaus, that there's wide variety on different topics, different interests. I did not expect to split the room literally 50-50 on the, uh, on, the, on the mountains, ocean, mountains, beaches thing. So when you think about great mountain artwork, there's really only one thing that comes to mind. Let me show you what comes to mind when you think about great mountain artwork. Uh, everybody know who that comes from, right? The great Bob Ross. Like, you'd be surprised to know I did not paint those up there. That's Bob Ross paintings up there. Anybody grow up watching Bob Ross? I still love to watch Bob Ross. Like there's just something, you know, just soothing about watching. Every painting looks almost exactly the same, but that's okay. Like they're still fun to, uh, fun to watch. I think about mountains. We're going to come back to those pictures in just a minute, but let's think for a second about mountains in the Bible. Let's think about mountains in the Bible. It's fascinating when you're studying Scripture to take a theme or a topic and work from the beginning of the Bible through to the end. And if you ever want to do a really fascinating study in the Bible, just study different mountains throughout the Bible. We don't think about this all the time, but in the very beginning of the Bible with creation, the Garden of Eden is placed on a mountain. I know we don't always think about it in that way, but the way that story is set up, from the very beginning, God is working from a mountain with the Garden of Eden. With Jesus' ministry, when he comes, and you think about the Sermon on the 
Mount. <laughs> I'm reading the Sermon on the Mount with a couple of groups of guys right now, and so we're thinking about this idea that Jesus went up on a mountain. Jesus goes up on a mountain for the transfiguration where he reveals his glory to some of the disciples. At the end of his ministry, after the resurrection, Jesus meets with his disciples up on a mountain, and he's sending out the disciples with the Great Commission. So many key things in the Bible happen on the mountain. In the Bible, the mountains are a place where God makes himself known, where God's revelation happens, where we see who he is and how he works among his people. It's a place where God's rule, his authority is demonstrated, but it's also especially a place where God makes himself known. So you think about other mountains in the Old Testament. Mount Moriah, a place that's associated with Abraham and David, where Abraham took Isaac and was going to sacrifice his only son, and God provided the lamb. Mount Moriah becomes later that key point where the temple is established. And it's still a key point today that, that's fought over and debated about. You have Mount Sinai where Moses has the experience of meeting with God and the people come and God reveals his character and his law, his covenant for the people. You have this theme of Mount Zion. You see the word Zion that begins to be established in Scripture. This place that David comes to and first the ark is brought there, but then it becomes the royal palace. It's a place of, of God's rule over the people. And so you have all these mountains that are being brought together. The reason that matters is because this morning in Hebrews chapter 12, you're going to see two mountains being described. We go back to our famous Bob Ross paintings here. The one on the left feels a little bit eerie. It's got a little bit of a gloom idea going on to it. You're coming to this mountain. This, some sort of storm is, is developing. It's dark. You have the mountain on the right. It's light, grass, fresh water. All These two images are being established here. This morning, we're going to see a contrast between the mountain on the left, Sinai, and the mountain on the right, Zion. Now, are those actual paintings of Sinai and Zion? No, they're not, but they're Bob Ross paintings that we're going to use for that purpose this morning. Okay, let's get into Scripture and see these two mountains in Hebrews chapter 12. Let's start in verse 18. Mountain number one, verse 18 it says, for you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness. So he's setting up a contrast here. The preacher is setting up a contrast, and he's saying, you as the church, you as those who are in Christ, you're not like Esau, who was mentioned just before. You're not like the people in the Old Testament. You have not come to this mountain, what's being described here as Mount Sinai, pulled from Exodus in Deuteronomy, in the Old Testament, if you go back and read Exodus chapters 19 and 20 and Deuteronomy 4 and 5, you're going to see these images described in those Old Testament chapters that are being summarized here in Hebrews chapter 12. You've not come. This language of coming is language that the book of Hebrews uses for drawing near to God. What is my life running toward? The book of Hebrews is all about running this path. What am I drawing near toward? What am I moving toward? And the preacher says, you're not coming to a mountain. And then he's going to give seven descriptions of this mountain. That matters. He's giving seven descriptions, giving this picture of fullness of what this first Mount Sinai would have been about. It's something that can be touched. So it's physical, earthly, material. It can be touched. It's a blazing fire. It's dark. 
take your uh, Lord of the Rings, Harry Potter, whatever image you have in your mind of a story that grows darker and darker over time, and you're, you're coming to this mountain, you're coming to this castle, and there's fire, and there's darkness. You go forward in the verse, it says it's a place of gloom. It's a tempest, which is kind of a weird word, but it just means whirlwind. So we would think tornado. Some people might think hurricane. It's this whirlwind, this tempest. Verse 19 says, It's the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. Now you get the idea. So what the preacher is doing here is he's establishing emotions. He's he's establishing this picture of what Mount Sinai is all about. And it's chaotic. And it's fearful. It's scary. It's a place you don't want to draw close to. This idea about the sound of a trumpet that, that an angel would blow or a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. If you've ever been around preschoolers who were gifted a set of drums um, or, you know, or, you know, someone tried to play a trick on you and they gave your kid a harmonica or something like that. It's just like this noise that you hear and it's just overwhelming and you try to listen to it for a while and then after a while you're like, I can't take anymore. Or those of you who are really bothered by, by sensory, by, by sounds and like overwhelming sounds just drive you crazy, imagine that but never stopping, never stopping, never stopping. It's dark. It's scary. It's loud. You're like, I I just don't want to be there. Verse 20. They could not endure the order that was given. This command that even if an animal, even if a beast touches this mountain, it's going to be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. So what's Mount Sinai? It's this first covenant that God's establishing with his people. And it's this imagery of dread that you're separated from the mountain. You can't draw near. It's too scary to draw near. And this whole idea is being put together here of that's not the place that you're coming as the church. That's not what you're being drawn toward. Instead, verse 22. What happens in verse 22? But, this key transition, you have come to Mount Zion. And then, no surprise, Guess how many descriptions of Mount Zion you're going to get? Seven. (laughs) So he gave seven descriptions of Mount Sinai showing how scary and bad and dark it was. Not bad, but how scary and dark it was. And then Mount Zion, he's going to give seven descriptions of. What's he going to describe it as? You've come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. This is Revelation 21 imagery in your Bible, that you are coming not to an earthly city, but you are coming to the heavenly city that will come down and and dwell as part of the new creation. You're coming to the place of God where God dwells, where he is with his people. You're coming to innumerable angels in festal gathering. These angels that are not standing far away from God, but they are coming together for a feast. That there's joy here, that the angels are being gathered around to worship God and serve him. Verse 23, you're coming to the assembly of, of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven. That word assembly is sometimes the word church, and so the church of the firstborn, the congregation of the firstborn. These firstborn, who are we talking about here? Well, in the Old Testament, Israel, the people of God, they were called the firstborn. But when you get to the New Testament, the true firstborn is Jesus. 
the one who came to bring God's salvation and rule in the world, and all believers are made part of the firstborn. They are made part of the people of God, not because of what they've done, but because of God's grace, that their names are written in heaven, that he's brought salvation, and so we become a part of this assembly. And the key here, well, there's actually two keys. When you see that language of assembly of the firstborn enrolled in heaven, there's, there's two ideas behind that. The first is that you are secure, that your security is not found in your earthly citizenship. It's found that your name is written in heaven, that you are a part of the people of God. And so you have the security. And the other key idea here is that in the kingdom of God, there are no second-class citizens. That when you are a part of the kingdom of God, you are a part of the firstborn who will receive the inheritance that God has provided for his people through Christ. And so in Christ you are secure and there are no second class citizens. There's no higher level of Christian and lower level. We are all one in Christ. We are part of this firstborn people of God. Who else do we come to here? Middle of 23, we come to God, the judge of all. Now, why does that matter? Why is this given here with Sion? Because God is judging the people, not someone here on earth. And so we can trust God that he is the good and holy and righteous God. Why do you want to draw near to God to judge you? Because you don't want somebody else judging you. They don't know your heart. They don't know what's going on in your life. But you can trust God who is the true judge. End of verse 23, you are coming to the Spirit's of the righteous ones who have made perfect, who've been made perfect, those who have gone ahead of you. I think this is an indication of those Old Testament saints who were seeking after God's salvation that would come, and now they have found that perfection in Christ, now that Christ has come. Verse 24, what's this second mountain all about? You have come to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. If you're trying to summarize what the book of Hebrews is about, it's about Jesus, who is the mediator of a new covenant. He has brought God's new covenant, his fulfilled covenant to the people, and Jesus is that mediator, not any human. And then the very end of that verse, to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Abel is that first Old Testament character that's listed back in Hebrews chapter 11. If you don't know Abel, his brother Cain killed him in this dispute over a sacrifice and it says there in the book of Genesis chapter 4 that Abel's blood cries out. What was Abel's blood crying out for? For justice, for, for righteousness, for redemption. Well Abel's blood was crying out that God would bring redemption. Why is the blood of Jesus better? Because his blood actually brought that redemption. Abel was crying out for God to make all things right Jesus came and made all things right. And so this fulfillment that happens here, you have these seven statements that are a picture of Mount Zion. Now, what the end of chapter 12 calls for is a chart. You guys know how much I love charts. And I love charts because my wife loves charts. And my wife loves something, I'm going to love something, okay? So uh, we love a good chart. We love a good comparison chart. If you're going to take the verses this morning and you're trying to put them side by side, and man, this is a good practice in Bible study. If you see contrast being set up or comparisons being set up, this is the contrast that's going on. Mountain number one, Mount Sinai, is the old covenant. Now hear me out. I could be easily misunderstood this morning, so hear me out on this. Old does not mean bad. Old means incomplete. 
Here's what you're going to hear sometime in Bible teaching in churches, and I'm, I'm going to tell you to be so careful about this, okay? Sometimes you hear set up this idea that the Old Testament God is mean and angry and vengeful, and the New Testament God is kind and gracious and calm and easy. Friends, the Old Testament God is the New Testament God. But there is one God who is over all things, and he has made himself known to us through the Bible. And the Old Testament is not bad. The Old Covenant is incomplete. It was not meant to ultimately bring that salvation. It was pointing ahead to the New Covenant that we see at Mount Zion. Old Covenant is earthly. It's happening with material things. It's, it's what's, the, what's the right wording? It is subject to all the weaknesses of this earth. It's subject to the reality of change and the circumstance of this world. The new covenant is heavenly. It is established where God is, and it will not change, and it is absolutely secure. Number three, the first mountain is a place of separation and fear. Mountain number two is a place of assembly and feast. Mountain number two, you're coming together to celebrate, that we are assembling as the people of God to celebrate Jesus. When we come together on Sunday morning as the people of God, we are here to celebrate Jesus, that we are trying to build up the church and advance the good news of Jesus. It leads to death, mountain number one. Mountain number two leads to life. Mountain number one, the mediator, Moses, who was supposed to stand in for the people, even the mediator is scared. Kids, those of you who are in the room, elementary kids, I'll let you know something here that's kind of hard to admit. Even your dad gets scared sometimes. Uh, like so, uh, so when there's like a loud noise in the house at night and it's dark and, you know, somebody needs to go check the front door, I really want Amanda to go check the front door. Like, I mean, honestly, in that moment, like, but I can't do that. Like, I, I've got to step up and go and go check the front door, but I'm trembling checking the front door. Like, what's going on here? So even dads get scared. Even Moses was scared. Even his role there as the mediator of that first covenant, he is scared. The second mediator, he's alive. He is the one. Jesus, the perfect mediator, the one who is able to make us right with God. He went through the darkness of sin and death, and he came out on the other side alive and reigning to this very moment over all things. You can trust him. His covenant is perfect. This imagery right here, mountain number one came in the old covenant. You, as the church, you, here this morning, you who are listening online, you are drawing near to mountain number two. This is what God has promised you in his grace. So why does that matter? Look at verse 25. Students, look at verse 25. Senior adults, look at verse 25. You have to catch the image. This mountain of darkness, this mountain of light, verse 25. If this is the case, see that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth. So if you weren't going to escape the first covenant given to Mount Sinai, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. God has made himself known to us. In the old covenant, he spoke to the people at Mount Sinai. In the new covenant, he is speaking to you this morning about Mount Zion. And we cannot reject him. We cannot refuse him. 
To refuse him leads to death. To refuse him leads away from the promises he has given. And so what you are hearing this morning is you're hearing this picture of grace. You're hearing this picture of Mount Zion. You're hearing this picture of God's love poured out for you through Jesus. And the message very simply is do not refuse him. Do not reject him. This message of salvation that's being given to you, not by me, but by the word of God, this message that's been given to us, the author, the pastor is saying, don't reject that. Because if you reject that, there's no way to salvation. There's no hope found in life. I want us to think about this as a church over the next four weeks. And here's what we're going to do. Kids, if you have a piece of paper in front of you, get that piece of paper out. If you want to draw on one of these, like, connect cards on the seat back, and there's a pen. I want you to use this. We're going to talk about this as a church for a long time. I want to tell you why four arrows might be better than three arrows, okay? If you've been around Emmaus for a long time, we've talked about up, in, out. We've done this little dance, up, in, out. Worship, discipleship, missions, okay? We're going to tweak that just a little bit this morning, and then we're going to keep talking about it in the days ahead, because I want to take Scripture this morning and give it to you in a way that you can take it home, explain it to somebody else, think about God's work in your life. Okay, here we go. The first arrow that I want you to draw on the paper in front of you is a small arrow coming down from the top. Okay, we're going to draw an arrow coming down. Here's the reality. The life that you live the world that you live in, the Bible that you have, everything that we have, we have because it came from God. There is nothing that exists. There is nothing that we have. Every good and perfect gift has come down from the Father of lights. Everything we have comes from God. He's created this world. If you want to write off to the side somewhere, Psalm 19. Psalm 19 is a beautiful picture of this because it talks about God's revelation of himself through creation, how he's created the world in this, in this very general, powerful way, but he's also given us his word. So when you think about things that have come down to us, God's creation has come down. God has spoken down into the world through his prophets, through his scripture. God has come down through his spirit. God sent his son down to us. Everything you have, everything that exists, comes because it has come from God. One word we use for this is just revelation. God has revealed himself. He's made known his character and his promises. Everything we have has come from God, and we want to know that. We want to receive what God has given us. Second arrow. You're going to draw an arrow going back up. We talk about this arrow next week, okay? <laughs> we talk about this arrow next week. This week, today, cold Sunday, is about the arrow coming down, all right? It's God's revelation. He has spoken to us, and we cannot refuse him. We cannot reject him. Our response is that we respond to God up in prayer and praise. Because God has acted, because he has created, because he has spoken into the world, his people are called to respond to him in worship. And we're going to talk about that next week. Third arrow. Draw one arrow coming in toward the middle from the left. This is in. This is the fact that when heaven meets earth, 
God draws his people into what he is doing. This is when you gather together with the church. This is when you gather together for Bible study. This is that work that God is doing in our lives as he draws his people into where heaven meets earth. This is that idea, the fancy word would be discipleship, church membership, growing in your faith. Use all these ideas, but God is drawing us into what he has done. Fourth arrow, arrow going out to the right, is out. What God does when heaven meets earth and he draws his people in, when God does that, he does that work so that we will go out and we will share that good news with other people. Now, when I showed this graph, this picture to the, to the Emmaus staff last week, one of our staff members says, that looks like an old cheat code from an old video game. Uh, like if you remember like the old video game cheat codes, like if you just hit down, up, in, you know, left, right at the same time, like something great will happen in your video game. That's cool. I meant more spiritual things by it, but you know, if you got a cheat code out of it for a video game, that's, that's okay as well. Kids, what picture does that make? What image does that make? It makes a cross. Like all of God's work in our lives centered on the cross of Jesus Christ, he has revealed himself, he has spoken, he has created, everything you have came down from God. And so we are going to respond to him in worship, we are going to join in with what he is doing through his people, and we are going to go out and we are going to share that good news with other people all because of the cross. If you can draw a cross with four arrows, you can talk to people about what God is doing in your life, what God is doing among his people. What does this mean for us this morning? Point number one that we have to get this morning, just kind of drawing two quick conclusions. Number one, God has spoken and acted, so we must not refuse him. You might be here this morning, and you've heard the word of God over and over and over and you've heard that you can be saved, and you can become a Christian, and your heart is growing hard to that. You're starting to make fun of it. You're starting to get to the point you just don't particularly care about it. And this morning, you see a picture of Mount Zion. You see a picture of where God is calling you to go toward his grace, toward his love, toward his joy, toward his peace. He is calling you there because he has made his salvation known to you. And friends, stop rejecting that. That you would open your hands and your heart to the Lord and say, I receive your word. I receive your salvation. I give up and I trust you. I need you to work in my life. We turn away from God in fear We turn away from God because of the chaos of the world. We turn away from God because of our own pride and apathy. And the word of God to you this morning is stop refusing him. That this morning would be the day that you would trust in Jesus for salvation. And when we are the people of God, when we do receive him, number two is we must not refuse him. Number two is we want to be people who receive his word and salvation. The people of God are marked as those who desire the nearness of God, who desire his work in our life, who delight in his word coming into our lives. We love those things. We depend on him. The people of God are those who say, everything I have and everything I need comes from God, and I need more of it, and I want more of it. And God, I want more of your word. I want more of your grace. I want more of your blood. I just want to know you because I know everything I need comes from you. And so we have to look at our lives and say, 
are we delighting to receive the word of God? As the people of God, are we delighting? Are we depending on the word of God? God, I need you to speak into my life. If that's not the case in your life right now, if you find yourself in a place where you're not receiving God's word, let me encourage you to change that. That you would be someone who says, I need God's word in my, in my life. And if you're like, I don't know how to do that. I don't know how to get God's word into my life. Well, number one, show up to church at 1045 on Sunday morning or, or join us online. If there's going to be anything we want to do well at Emmaus on Sunday mornings, from the music to the preaching, we want the word of God to be central to what we do. And so gathering with the people of God in worship is a good way to get the word. Join a group. <laughs> I know it's old school, but go to Sunday school. Parents, get your kids in Sunday school, 9.15 on Sunday morning. Wednesday night Bible studies. Come on Wednesday nights at 6 o'clock, and we have different groups that you can join in. There are so many different ways that you can get together with a group of people and receive the Word of God into your life. I'm reading the Bible with a couple of groups of guys uh, this year, and we're just going through different scriptures. If you're here this morning, and you are not regularly reading the Bible— but you would like to, and you just don't know where to start, if you'll reach out to me, I'll add you into a group, and we just send a text message or a group me message on Monday of every week with the scripture. If you just reach out to me, I would love to add you into one of those groups. And every week, you'll be reading through one section of scripture. We'll do that together. We can talk about it. We can pray about it. If you don't have any place to start, and you know going to Sunday school is going to be hard to do, but you really want to read the Bible, reach out to me, and we will make that happen. As you leave this morning, on the tables, the front table out here, and then on the table, I'm going to send this out in my email this week. I'm going to give you a document about how to study the Bible. Because sometimes people are like, I want to read the Bible, but I have no idea how to do this. I put together a really simple document about how to read the Bible, how to think about studying the Bible. If you get my email every week, I'll send it out. We'll find a way to put it out there. I've got maybe like 100 copies out on the different tables. Take one if you don't do email well <laughs> or you think I just need a copy to take this morning. Take one of those. Here's the deal. We need God's word in our lives. We need God's salvation, his new covenant in our life. We need to understand what it is that he has spoken. Every good thing is from him and we want to receive that. We want to delight in that because next week we have to talk about how we respond when God works in our life. What does that look like? This morning, you are saying, I will not refuse God's word. I will not refuse a salvation. I want to receive that into my life, and then I want to move forward in how he's leading me to do that. Would you bow your heads with me? Here in just a minute, after we pray together, we're going to stand up, and we are going to sing a song about how we depend on the Lord. We depend on his word. We depend on his salvation. We depend on his Holy Spirit. If your life has been moving in the wrong direction, if your life is going toward fear and darkness and chaos, if you feel separated from God, this morning, I pray that you would call out to the Lord in prayer. After this last song is over, just come down front and we will talk about God's work in your life. I'd love to talk to you about that. If you are here this morning, you are saying, God, I depend on you. 
I delight to know you. I need to receive your word. I need to receive your work in my life. I want that. Emmaus, let's be a church that depends on the Lord. Let's be a church that delights in the word of God. And then let's be a church that goes and lives that out beyond these walls, beyond these doors. We pray this, God, in Jesus' name, amen.